You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. So for my personal story, if people can take anything from that in terms of just, I had skills maybe in marketing or commercialization that I'd worked in other industries. So I tried to apply the lens of how do I bring those now to this industry? Clearly it's needed to bring things to market. And so not putting limits on mm -hmm. yourself and not kind of, you know, categorizing. I, I could have said, well, I'm not an engineer. I uh, am not a chemist. And so how could I possibly be a leader of a company like that? It's you have to, of course, be willing to learn. I think that's the key. This episode is powered by Invest Ottawa. This is Naomi here, and for this series, we teamed up with the IO team as they led up to Accelerate Ought this year, which is the flagship entrepreneurship conference that has women founders and funders leading from the stage. We have interviewed four founders so far who are all leading very different ventures, but all driven by their why. So without further ado, enjoy this week's conversation with Heather Ward. This is the fourth episode of the series. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi Hailey, and today I am here with Heather Ward. Heather, how are you doing today? I'm great, Naomi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. I love, absolutely love your story. I love the work that you've been doing over the past um, over the past years, you've worked in a lot of different industries. And so for the audience, Heather is the president and co-founder of Hyperion Energy, which is a company that's working on the world's first industrial carbon recycling system. Heather has a marketing background, was intrigued by the advertising industry early on in her career. She's worked in hospitality, and she also has experience starting her own company um, in 2004. Heather is an impact-focused entrepreneur and creative strategist and is currently aligned with contributing to a cleaner, safer future for the planet through carbon and climate solutions. And through her story, you'll see she has a keen ability to identify sort of emerging opportunities and connect the people that are required to make things happen. And so thank you for being here, Heather. I'd love for you to start with telling us a little bit about your origin story, what life was before you know starting this company as well, and we can go from there. Great, well, thank you so much for that intro and, uh, and happy to be chatting with you today. Um, my origin story, I guess it's, uh, I've taken, I heard somebody once say, A to B is not always a straight line. Sometimes it's um, you know a circle and a journey, and, and certainly it has been for me in entrepreneurship. So, um, always had it interested in started from a young age, you know, whether it was selling door to door um, catalog items as a kid, or just following some of the, um, the businesses that I loved and studying entrepreneurship and uh, business at university, as well as marketing and economics. So always had an interest in that area. Um, I did want to uh, break into the uh, advertising and marketing agency world. When I left university and I moved to Toronto, um, I think you and I were talking in the pre-story about just kind of, you know, making bold moves. And I know you've yourself also um, made some of those moves as well. So, uh, you know, moving to Toronto with, I think it was one suitcase, no job and no place to live. And then a couple of years later had started my own agency. So the journey to get there was interesting. I, I did start in the uh, hospitality business and really moved up into, you know, events and really customer service there. Um, and some of those principles 
principles I still use today, like, for example, we used to say the, the worst complaint you get is the one that you don't hear, um, because you don't have an opportunity to change and, uh, and to improve. And so that's something I've always kept in mind in terms of, you know, just a solid customer service background. And then from there, I uh, did eventually get into the PR and uh, marketing agency world and worked for a large national firm working with some, you know, some really great accounts and clients. And what I think I learned there was just the importance of research and being able to quickly get up to speed. So when you work in an agency, you're working with all different industries and sectors. Um, you know, I might have a, a client that researching fair trade for the coffee industry or, um, you know, PFOAs for uh, nonstick um, frying pans. It could be very different. Um, you have to really learn to uh, study and to do your research in order to understand the industry, especially when you're doing something like public relations or crisis management for these large firms. And so that was something that I uh, took when, into when I started my own agency, um, which I started and ran for about a decade uh, in Toronto and was able to parlay that strong customer service and industry experience into working with consumer electronics. We launched also Canada's first electric vehicle and did some really interesting projects there and just saw the evolution into a lot of the what was moving in at that time was um, corporate social responsibility. And, you know, we weren't talking about social impact per se in those days, but just the beginnings of, you know, I was doing a lot of pro bono work with Rethink Breast Cancer and Eco Fashion Week and some of the organizations that were starting to partner in terms of, of corporate sponsorships and just companies getting involved in causes that they were, you know, that they cared about and that were aligned with their values. So that kind of shaped the early days of my career. And then um, I, I made a leap into the clean tech industry uh, a few years later when I, I moved actually to Ottawa and wanted to get involved more in the social entrepreneurship um, world. And I joined an incubator called Impact Hub. And that's where I met my co-founder. And uh, quickly that company grew and um, that was sort of the, the origin of where um, that intersection with, uh, with social impact in my early career. There, was, there were a couple, well, a lot of things in your origin story just around navigating different industries, being able to apply so many different skills and competencies when it comes to, you know, coming into a space like climate change or um, climate action. And I'm wondering, like, what it meant for you in those early stages, developing a skill set, really getting good at your area of expertise, and then deciding, like, I want to try something else. What, what are some of the things that led to you um, wanting to explore other forms of, of business and, and the world of, of impact as well? So when I joined Impact Hub as the community lead, really what my purpose was there was to help other entrepreneurs. So I had sort of achieved within, I felt within that decade of running my business, I had achieved what I wanted to professionally and potentially financially. And, you know, I wanted to get into more purpose-driven work. So uh, joining that incubator really with the eye to helping other entrepreneurs and sharing some of my experiences both successes and failures and, and potentially what could help 
um, move forward. Um, you know, I, I wanted to feel good about the products and the services that I was promoting. And so getting into things that were more aligned with my personal values and social impact, whether it was environmental, social, and other, um, really had the chance to look at a different perspective. And, and that was a, um, a real learning for me, it was it was um, getting involved in the social innovation world. And what I really found was, you know, sometimes in, in change making, there's a, we're talking a lot about problems and the world's problems and, and really so, certainly solving the world's most pressing problems socially and environmentally. I think as an entrepreneur, you naturally want to talk about solutions. So mm-hmm. That's where I sort of, when I met my co-founder, Jerry, who was a brilliant engineer with this idea for carbon recycling, I really liked that approach to a tangible solution. And certainly some of my personal frustrations that, you know, at the time with um, climate denial and silencing of, uh, you know, science in, in media and these kinds of things that we were seeing in the political and media sphere. And of course, with my background in media, sort of, I always had an eye to that and understanding how journalism was being affected by some of these policies um, and how the environmental movement was uh, was really struggling at that time to have a voice. But I think when you come at a, a problem with a solution-based approach, you tend to uh, to have a different lens on it and find out how you can actually get into a system to change it. That's really the best way to um, change a system. And so we have these themes of unlikely allies and collaboration is definitely key to innovation. So looking uh, with a new view to potential partners industry and others that could uh, use this solution that Jerry had invented. And that was why I made the jump into kind of working with his company full time. And, and, you know, at that time, we got into the Carbon X Prize, which was a competition to, again, solve the world's most pressing problems. And this one specifically was around carbon. So that catapulted us into a very interesting sphere to talk about solutions and just new ways of looking at carbon and the carbon problem. Yeah, and I remember earlier you mentioning the the power of language and the power of making things seemingly complex a lot more simple for people to actually understand what it is that you're working on, right? And so you mentioned a little bit about shaping the narrative for climate change. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that actually means and what needs to happen in the background for that to be possible. Sure. So I think one of the things when we start doing startup pitches and, and those kinds of things that we're told is, is do, you know, your sort of your elevator pitch or one of the key things I've, I've heard is how would you explain this to your grandmother? So, you know, being able to really be concise in communications and to minimize, um, I think one of the challenges of the, the tech industry and certainly deep tech is you can really go very deep on the technology. And if an engineer is explaining something to you, it's going to be very different than, say, you know, a marketer. So you don't want to dilute it down or lose too much of the message. But at the same time, you need to kind of, I think, elevate it and look at that the 10,000 foot view of context, you know, I think is always important and looking at the system with, within something. And so from a commercialization perspective, if you want to get R&D off, uh, off the shelf out of the lab and into a market, uh, you need to look at the market forces and, and 
everything from competition to to what is driving the industry. And so being able to apply that context and, and being able to really simply explain something and how it fits into the current um, the current market is, I think, important, especially when you're talking to folks who might not be as familiar with the industry. Of course, it's going to be very different if you're talking to uh, somebody at a science conference versus an investor who might just be kind of dipping their toe in this in this foot. So, or sorry, in this area. And so, knowing your audience is is a key from, you know, a principle from PR and adapting your message to your audience. So I think that's the key is keep always keep your audience in mind. No, I completely agree. And you touched a little bit on bringing products or solutions to the market. And so I'm wondering if you could teach our audience a little bit. We have um, a wide, wide ranging group here, ages 18 to 35 on average. Uh, a lot of them, as I mentioned to you, Heather, are, you know, working on their own business. They're thinking about starting their own business. And I find like today in today's age it's probably not the easiest but the simplest in terms of the tools that you have accessible to you in order to make that those things happen and so i'm wondering if you can walk us through a go-to-market strategy that you particularly enjoyed you know in your years in business or one that was very different from what you've done before and how you approached it Sure. Well, I think, um, again, know your market, do your research. Um, the design thinking principles can be applied to go-to-market strategies. So, um, you know, looking at the three main things in, in that, it's desirability. Does someone want this? Um, feasibility, can we build it? And then the viability, can we sustain it financially? And so those are sort of some, some principles to look at when you're bringing something to market. For your customer development model, you know, you can look at tech adoption curves if it's the technology market. Really the early stage, you're in a searching mode. So you're doing a lot of customer discovery and validation and looking at your product market fit. So finding out what works, what doesn't work, iterating and potentially pivoting in that search phase before you go to um, execute. And then you're, you're looking at other things like your customer creation and your company building um, in, those, in those stages. So I would say, you know, creativity is very important. So if you can do something uh, different to really stand out and what I've personally found in my industry, you know, bringing to the table a fresh perspective that's maybe not uh, from within the industry is important. I think bringing in new ideas, and this is why diversity and inclusion are so important. Even just within our team, I think it's, you know, not everybody has a PhD. We want people that have different, you know, industry experiences from different industries even. Um, and and so one of the, the projects that I really enjoyed from my past career, and we won global awards for it, um, the client, was looking at a, uh, a product that was used in consumer electronics and household goods for garment steamers. And so this was um, similar to, it was a European design, so let's say kind of the Dyson of garment steamers. And in the American market, um, people like Martha Stewart and others were fans and it had a very niche um you know they were going reaching out to sewing circles and quilting communities and these kinds of things and 
we were finding in Canada that we were getting calls um, representing this brand from photographers and fashion designers. And so we put together a partnership, which eventually became the official garment care to Fashion Week. And we tested that in Canada and we did about 18 seasons backstage at Fashion Week. Um, so steaming the garments, this was also an ecological approach because you're using less dry cleaning chemicals, it's more delicate on the fabrics. And the high performance of those products were tested and then you had you know, fashion designers, um, the, the uh, products eventually went on to be on Project Runway. And we found ourselves in New York, where I know you are now, backstage at, at Fashion Week in New York, ex sort of explaining to the, the clients there how we had done this in Canada. So it was really interesting to see how a creative idea could then be adopted globally. It eventually uh, rolled out globally to Paris Fashion Week, London Fashion Week, Milan, everywhere. Unfortunately, I didn't get to travel to all those spots, but it did. Um, it did win the client a um, you know a best practice and and uh, best PR campaign award. And still to this day, they do have that that sponsorship. So. Uh, you know, applying a different lens, looking at who the users are and where maybe there might be a niche that, that you hadn't looked at before, especially when it can align well with the brand. So, of course, the brand um, being a high design luxury brand was happy to be aligned with some of the world's top designers. What an incredible example, Heather. I think often we don't think about those like less obvious ideas around how you can bring like innovative products or solutions at that level and maybe it takes a certain you know person having experience in that industry and saying like this is a real problem and this is something that i want to address but when you were talking about that i'm like hmm in this age not like a sexy solution or a sexy product to build and so there are a lot of opportunity like missed opportunities that folks think might not be that lucrative or um, that valuable, but the way that you uh, talked about, like there are so many of these types of solutions that we don't often hear about in the mainstream uh, media. So thanks for sharing that uh, example. I love what you just said there about, um, you don't necessarily think of these products as sexy. For some reason, these are, the, these are the products that are the challenge that I really enjoy is how do you bring this to a, a mass market and make it relevant and um, I think that's what, you know, if you if we, we can make irons and garment steamers <laughs> sexy, I am excited to see what we can do with carbon recycling. And, you know, that is not a sexy industry. I'm going into cement factories. And, but I think you do have to have some cachet and design behind it. You know, if you look at, again, what Dyson has done with vacuum cleaners or Tesla with the electric vehicle, there's, there's a lot to be said about product there. Yeah. For folks who, like this was a client that you supported in their, in their efforts to bring this out, right? And I'm wondering for folks who, in terms of creative thinking, you mentioned that as an important skill set to bring when approaching product building or coming up with different service offerings that you can offer to clients. Do you have any mental exercises that have been helpful for you to start like thinking creatively just in your day to day? Random question. 
Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think this is something that I've actually looked at. So I was part of the Creative Mornings group here in Ottawa. And, and, you know, there's just creative get togethers. I think Creative Mornings are all over the world. I think it's interesting to always be kind of feeding that part of your brain as a creative, or even if you don't consider yourself a creative, to kind of look at other people's stories. Um, You never know what is going to inspire a creative idea for you. I think what for me and and what I've um, sort of heard in some of the research is you have to kind of get your brain into that flow mode. And that's why sometimes we have our best ideas in the shower or right before you go into bed and people say they put a a notepad beside their bed. I think if you sit down and say, okay, right now today at this time, I'm going to try to come up with five ideas. It, you know, it's like writer's block. Um, It comes to you, I think when you're in a state of flow. So for me, it's, you know, go for a walk, get some sunshine, get some fresh air, um, you know, do something different than try to switch your brain on to think creatively. Um, I think, you know, stimulating your brain creatively in, in some of those um, aspects, whether you've got a musical or artistic outlet, can often bring um, inspiration. Um, and I think just slowing down, this is something that you and I had talked about a little bit in the pre-talk too. We are so rushed in today's day and age and speed is kind of seen as king, right? We talk about the hustle and and all of this language. And I think uh, for me, what's been more effective is slowing down and being slow and strategic and actually taking time to be able to think and have some, um, as Coltrade said, have some space between the notes um, so that that's where the the real magic happens. And um, one of the books that I read was um, In Praise of Slow by Carl Honore, who's a Canadian author. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing him speak at Idea City. This was just, this concept turned turned me around completely in terms of how I saw time and speed and the importance of, you know, slowing down and being intentional, not necessarily being slow in the traditional sense, but doing the right things at the right time. And we often forget Aesop's fable that it's the tortoise that won the race, not the hare. And certainly in entrepreneurship, you have to be an endurance, um, you know, it's, it's a long haul. So it, it you yeah. have to pace yourself and um, I think if you burn yourself out, you're, you're not going to be good to anybody and you're not going to have creative ideas. So um, manage your stress level, stay balanced, all of those great things. Yeah, and this is fascinating because at the surface, it may seem like at odds or in conflict with the way that you know people look at business or the technology space. But when you dive into people's stories, the leading entrepreneurs they all talk about having time set aside, carved out, regardless of how quote unquote busy they are to think and to, to rest and to rejuvenate. So I think when you look a little bit deeper into these concepts, you're absolutely right. Like if you want to build something sustainable, then this is likely an approach that would probably work for, for a lot of people. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. You talk a lot about being um, purpose-driven and in the way that you operate and making you know intentional decisions in your business and in your life. You were in Toronto, you know, you started your own company. 
um, I think you worked on it for about 10 years, right, before you sold it, and then transitioned into a completely different life. And so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about um, your, your, your process for making that decision. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Uh, and and t give folks a little bit more context on what that time of your life looked like. Sure, yeah. So I did, uh, as I said, I did my time in Toronto uh, in that kind of fast-paced world. It was very... Um, you know, it's a dog eat dog, uh, somewhat of a rat race at, at some point, um, especially in the, um, you know, the financial sector and, and some of those industries that I was interfacing with. Um, fabulous time, very fun, you know, to be in your 20s and, and to be kind of living that life. I think for me, the, the wall that I hit was um, losing my dad suddenly in my 20s. And so that just was a massive wake up call to me about, you know, how I was living my life just life is short it really puts things into perspective quickly so although i was really enjoying the career and and had you know clients that were renewing for i think i had a client you know nine years uh, renewing their contract the challenge was you know i had really as i said before achieved what i wanted to professionally and um was really satisfied in in that and and was looking for the next challenge and really wanted to give back so you know, I started to kind of get more aware, as I said, through the the media, what I was reading about um, climate change and environment and some of the things that were going on in Ottawa, where my brothers actually lived both as engineers and um, my father was actually an environmental engineer professor started the environmental engineering program at UNB in the 70s. And uh, his name was also Jerry, like my uh, my co-founder. So I, you know, I do believe in serendipity and perhaps this journey I was listening to really, I think when I got quiet, slowed down a bit and, and I ended up moving to Wakefield, Quebec, which is a little village north of Ottawa. I think when you start to follow your heart really and your intuition and, and it will draw you to the places that you need to be when you can really, you know, turn off some of that noise. Um, the other key I would say is sleep. So Ariana Huffington Thrive, I was really happy when that came out. I, I had been harping on this for years and saying sleep was one of the keys to my success. And it certainly was in terms of pacing. That kind of time really led me to this, this more purpose-driven work and, and joining the Impact Hub and being able to connect with global change makers and be so inspired by these um, stories and, and just the lessons that they were, were providing and, and hearing some speakers like Otto Sharman for, from MIT, from TheoryU talks about this theory of presencing versus absencing. So presencing um, is open heart, open mind, open will. So compassion, curiosity, courage as opposed to fear and blame and you know we can really see that in even just our political sphere these days the polarization that's happening and the othering and all of these things so I changed my mindset and really looked at you know how do I work within a system to create change um, who are the unlikely allies and and ultimately today we're, we're looking at you know who are the partners that we can partner with to help create change and, and bring these changes into the market so that was the sort of evolution for me. Mm. You've mentioned the term unlikely allies uh, twice during your conversation. I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit more context about what that means generally and then what that means, what that's looked like for you and your business. 
I think it relates to system change. And yes, I've used it a couple of times. It's a big <laughs> term that uh, it was actually the theme of a conference we went to in Romania with the Impact Hub with other makers, as we called them. And so looking at, you know, so giving a perspective environment, you know, coming at it and saying industry is completely bad and they need to just stop doing what they're doing. It, it's not realistic, right? So we need to think of a realistic approach. And when you want to change a system, and ultimately this is what is required to tackle climate change, is, is systems change on all systems, you know, economic, um, political, social, and other um, really getting into that system to change it and finding out who, where are the um, the pivot points that can happen to create change. And so it might be um, a partner in a company that you might have thought, oh, well, you know, they're, they're a global emitter. I'm not going to, um, they're the bad guys. You know, that, that idea again of, of absencing and othering versus mm -hmm. let's find out how we can help innovate these industries. You know, how can we bring innovation to these industries? These industries are really, whether it's because their shareholders are forcing them or their stock prices affected, or they're going to have to now um, commit to targets with the Paris Agreement, change is going to be coming. And so they're desperate for these technologies. This carbon capture and utilization or carbon recycling industry that we're in right now is comparable to 15 years ago in the solar industry. So right now we're just in the early days of this clean tech massive emergence that's going to be happening. It will be the biggest market in the future, um, you know, predicted to be bigger than all of AI. So that's where you have to kind of find the partners and also just, you know, all the political spectrums that can come into play to help have this collaboration and, and to meet different needs of different um, you know, different perspectives really is looking at other other perspectives and how you can work together. So really, again, as I said before, collaboration is is going yeah. to be the key for innovation. So finding those collaborators that are kind of aligned with what, you know, I think ultimately we're all humans and humans want to do the right thing. It's just a matter of finding out the, you know, whether it's the pain points for an industrial customer, how you can help solve them and what their needs are, how, you know, what, what is going to be the, the selling feature or the value proposition yeah. that they're going to sign up for. Mm -hmm. And that just goes back to the first thing you said, which is research, right? Like beyond, like looking at your competitive forces, understanding what is the, what is it that they're looking for and being able to maybe align your business to that. It's huge. You, kind of threw it in there of this industry being potentially larger than the AI industry in terms of what's coming down the line for folks who might be, I don't know, interested in investing in public companies that are focused on these types of um, issues and approaching it using different solutions. What would you recommend as a starting point or places where people can start to, to read more about what's coming? Yeah, so I think if, you know, just following the COP26 this week from Glasgow is, is probably a, a really interesting place to start in terms of getting the lay of the land and where clean technologies are. And Bill Gates has, has invested in this sector. He's got the Breakthrough Energy Ventures and puts out his, his uh, take on Gates notes. He just put out a, a great white paper on clean tech and the industry and what is required to scale the industry. So a lot of these companies are very early days. Um, yeah. A lot of them exist in, in the accelerators and incubators. 
um, whether it's, you know, there's a carbon to value program uh, in the US. We were just part of Techstars Energy Accelerator in Norway. Lots of these companies are coming um, out of those spots. So um, a lot of them are not public yet in terms of investment, but um, you know, following and amplifying the message. I think if you, you find them and, and amplify and um, whether it's, you know, a lot of in the media right now is the Orca project out of Iceland that is sucking CO2 out of the air, direct air capture that a lot of folks have talked about. I think it's, it's important and especially for the younger generation and I have seven nieces and nephews that I'm very close to and, and worry about the future for young people and I think yeah. it's important that young people see not only the problems but the solutions and how they can get involved. So maybe looking at these companies and finding out if that's you know something that you really want to dive into and you don't have to be an engineer or a PhD. I, I hope I can be an example of that. You can come at it from wherever your starting point is, as long as you've got the drive and passion for it. Um, you know, maybe find, find one of these companies and see how you can get involved or amplify their stories there. And I think looking at the policy that helps to push these forward, whether it's, you know, carbon pricing. So for example, in Canada, supporting that type of initiative is is important for the industry to drive those that change forward and uh, certainly we've seen an uptake um, with that policy being adopted in the EU is another great example of just mm -hmm. strong um, pricing on carbon. This is great. Thank you for that uh, context, Heather. Um, as we wrap up the episode, this the last point you made around uh, being an example for like coming into different industries where you maybe don't have past experience, um, but a passion and an interest and, you know, the curiosity to kind of connect the dots where you needed to and be informed. What would you say to folks who are maybe thinking about, you know, maybe they've spent like years in an industry and are thinking about making a transition in a time where that's starting to be really normal. And it's, you have a lot of companies really encouraging, you know, those types of um, transitions in terms of mobility. I'm wondering what you would say to people who are might be in that position and are really looking to make a change. Yeah, I, I heard a stat, uh, you know, when I was younger that people change careers seven times. I don't know if that's still accurate, but I would say, um, you know, again, coming back to what I said originally, A to B is not always a straight line. So sometimes you may take a journey. And I think that if you have, um, first of all, transferable skills, so whatever those may be, and whatever your particular gifts or talents may be, you can bring those and certainly the world needs those uh, to be brought to the table. You know, if it's, um, it's, I think, one of the questions I asked myself in the early days was, you know, people talk about the imposter syndrome, and especially for female founders and all of this kind of thing. But when I, when I looked around and didn't see much being done in this industry, and, and we had sort of been put in the center of it, I really sort of said, okay, well, you're going to actually have to step up now. So it's kind of like, why not me? And, and so for my personal story, if people can take anything from that in terms of just, I had skills maybe in marketing or commercialization that I'd worked in other industries. So I tried to apply the lens of how do I bring those now to this industry? Clearly it's needed to bring things to market. And so not putting limits on mm -hmm. yourself and not kind of, you know, categorizing. I, I could have said, well, I'm not an engineer. I uh, am not a chemist. And so how could I possibly be a leader of a company like that? It's, you have to, of course, be willing to learn. I think that's the key is just 
to be willing to really jump in and learn and, and see where your your passion takes you if there's something that you love reading about or are really fascinated about and you know that old saying if you find work that you're passionate about you'll never work a day in your life it's um i have to say i love my job i you know there were early days when we were bootstrapping when i was not getting paid to come to work certainly so you have to really i think if you're going to dive in find something that you really love and um some of those ideas around how to find your your purpose and I think just other people as well, getting into spaces with like-minded folks. So whether it's like the creative mornings or for me, it was impact hub groups um, and forums where you're going to connect with others. I think that's where the really, the magic happens in terms of serendipity and you might, you know, it might lead you to a new path as it did me. I, I never could have imagined you know, that's another takeaway is you probably don't know the industry that you're getting get into if you if you really want to be op be open. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't have told you that when I started at, at Impact Hub, I was going to get into clean tech. It, I think being open and being curious and as I was saying before and, and having courage and bravery to kind of make the leap and then being comfortable in the unknown and being open to see where that might lead you in that kind of early discovery phase of finding those areas to bring your uh, your gifts to the world is important. Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing a little bit more about your experiences and what it has looked like along the way as well. The examples that you shared have been really practical and um, I hope that my audience has, you know, taken something that they can apply in their own lives. And so thank you, Heather, for being here. Uh, what would be the best place for people to connect with you online and learn more about what you're doing? Yes, yeah, so you can find us at Hyperion Energy ca is the website for the company and uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, so people can connect with me there as well. Beautiful. Yeah. So all the links to where you can connect with Heather and her company are going to be in the show notes. So thank you for listening to this episode of the power of why we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks so much, Naomi. Thank you for listening to the Power of Why podcast. You can find the show notes at naomihila.com. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Power of Why on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa. We teamed up to produce this special series in celebration of Accelerate Ought, which is Ottawa's flagship entrepreneurial conference, which took place about two weeks ago on October 27th, 2021, and featured six inspirational sessions with more than 25 speakers. You can visit accelerateaught.ca to learn more.